This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. It takes courage and perseverance to heal from sexual assault. By choosing to work toward healing, you're choosing to reclaim a wounded part of yourself that suffered deep violation and betrayal. Healing won't always come easy or feel good, but if you stick with it, the rewards will be great. You might gain a sense of being safely embodied, of feeling like yourself again, of recovering your focus and concentration, of reclaiming your sexuality, of feeling the freedom to be creative, playful, and spontaneous, or of feeling connected to others, to nature, and to life. You've been gifted the wonderful ability to create, to envision something that doesn't yet exist, and to work toward manifesting it. To be a co-creator in your life, you must begin with forming a clear view of what you'd like to grow for yourself. Valeria Telles interviews Erica Shershan, the author of Healing Sexual Trauma Workbook, somatic skills to help you feel safe in your body, create boundaries, and live with resilience. Erica Shershan, LMFT, is a somatic psychotherapist specializing in working with sexual trauma survivors. Passionate about getting the needed tools that eluded her for so long into the hands of all survivors, she wrote the Healing Sexual Trauma Workbook. Drawing on the powerful mind-body techniques of somatic therapy, it's a step-by-step guide to overcoming the physical and psychological effects of sexual trauma, increasing positive body awareness, and restoring a sense of hope and vitality. Erica sees individual clients and facilitates an ongoing weekly therapy group for female-identified survivors at her private practice in San Francisco, currently meeting remotely. Her work is body-based and trauma-informed, incorporating neurobiology, EMDR, energy work, and other modalities to help ease and resolve symptoms. Having studied fine art, design, and film, another passion and specialization is working with artists, performers, and creatives. Erica welcomes and values diversity, including all races, sexualities, genders, body sizes, and abilities. Meet Erica at HealingSexualTrauma.com and EricaShershanTherapy.com. Here's the interview with Erica Shershan. In your own words, who is Erica Shershan? A lifelong learner, um, evolving, appreciator of nature, the arts and beauty, beautiful design, uh, creative, a uh, grateful, longtime vegan who loves animals and someone who's passionate about people being treated justly and helping trauma survivors to live their fullest life. 
do you label what you do today and the way you do it a purpose? Do you ever say that, that you have found your purpose or this is something that just arises that you do naturally? I don't use that languaging. However, it does feel that it it was something I needed to do. It, it definitely felt like it was time. And, um, and I kind of got a nudge in that direction as well. Uh, doing some Reiki it came through very, very clearly that um, it's time to write this. My second official question to you is about healing. How do you describe the healing process or what is healing to you? And also, what are some of the misconceptions about healing from your perspective? Mm, I definitely feel that healing is a process. A lot of clients come in thinking of it as a destination, a finish line they'll cross. And, you know, there are some big and rewarding shifts that take place, but life is about growth continual growth. And so when I use the phrase healing trauma, I'm referring to the reduction or elimination of symptoms brought on by the traumatic event. And so the, the trauma will continue to be an unhappy part of your history, only your, your nervous system will no longer be hijacked by it. And you'll be able to, to talk or think about it without fear, or anger or shame overtaking you. Um, so that's the healing in the title. And the process is different for everyone. It really depends on what each person brings in, what resources they had internally and externally um, and have, and also what their trauma history is. So was this a one-time trauma or is this a series of many traumas that you know this individual has, has suffered? So um, it really is individual. And is that the idea of destination the only misconception about healing that you're aware of, Erica, or there are other misconceptions? I'm sure there's others, but um, it, nothing's you know standing out to me right now to comment on. For me, um, the whole aspect of including the body in the healing is fundamental. And so you know, I guess a misconception that's pretty predominant would be um, not realizing the importance of that. And also just general lack of awareness around trauma and how it shows up and how, how it impacts one. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions around that. I'm so glad that you work with the body because it's amazing how complex it is and how much information it holds all the time. It's constantly gathering information and holding onto it. It seems to me like it starts with the body. Everything starts with the body. It seems to me. It's kind of very interesting. An interesting revelation. Well, just that sensations inform thoughts and, you know, it, it can go in both directions, but the sensations are present before the thoughts often. You mentioned you are a vegan, so I'm wondering if that has to do with this idea too, that by feeding the body with the right kinds of foods, then that will influence thoughts in the nervous system and everything else. Mm. Well, I became a vegan when I was quite young, and that certainly wasn't 
on my radar. Yeah, <laughs> thinking yeah, about yeah. about that, um, right? I would imagine you could make that correlation in terms of overall health um, and your overall health influencing the thoughts, but I'm, I don't know that there's a that direct of a correlation. What is your idea in understanding of balance? What would that look like for you? Um, I think harmony, feeling ease and and peace in, in your life, not being overly stressed. I'm not sure if that's the type of balance you're referring to or if you're if you wanted to be more specific. Yeah, I love what you said. You used the word harmony. Yeah, this is something that kind of resonates with me more, that word harmony, because it has to do with this movement, this natural movement in life that we, if we have to be in that extreme spectrum, it's okay too. And then we just move to the other extreme and then we find this way of being okay or being well among everything that happens or that happened or it is happening. So harmony, it really resonates to me because it kind of makes me think about nature and how it just flows. It's not stuck, it never gets stuck. And we do as humans, uh, more often not, because we are much more complex, I would say, it seems to me, because thoughts and the ideas, concepts, memory, oh, it's fascinating adventure to be in a human body. The purpose of life, what do you think or feel that is the purpose of the human experience? Mm. Um, I think it's the capacity for growth and evolution perception, direct experience, you know, vulnerability, interdependence, connection, energy um, are all sort of what's happening with, with life and being here. Um, I, I think the purpose of being here is all about evolving. And um, I think that we carry that on with us in our souls when we depart the, you know, the, the more we evolved, the more we, you know, move on with that. I think, I think, um, it's about spiritual growth. If one is like resourced enough to do the work of healing, um, I, I believe the harder the life, the more growth. And yeah, I think I've seen a, a lot of growth in my life and, and I've, you know, come far, but I have much more to go. And, um, so I don't even know if it is a belief system anymore. This idea that we're here to learn to love unconditionally. It comes to me all the time as the ultimate destination, if there is one, to love unconditionally, to accept ourselves, life itself, everything that have happened, that it is happened, that we imagine will happen and be okay with everything. Coming from a place of inner peace, not that we accept in the sense of not doing anything about it, doing something, but still having that, that sense of peace with it. That's not a fight. We're not rejecting anything. We're just doing what we have to do, but with calm. That's what it comes to me. And when you say spiritual, this whole, when you relate to spiritual growth, being the purpose of being here, that's what comes to me. What do you think about the idea of unconditional self-love? 
Have you thought about it? Yes, I think it's so important to cultivate self-compassion. I think that it starts with ourselves and the more we can can work toward unconditional self-love, the more our hearts open to others. I think it's a, again, it's a journey. I don't think it's um, the destination that you're going to, you know, cross the finish line when you're done, you'll always have it. I think it's an ongoing process for life to keep cultivating self-love. And you mentioned in your book, Self-Compassion, which I'll be asking you a few questions about it in the moment. Let me see if I have another warm-up question for you, Erica. What do you love most about being in a human body? Mm-hmm. Um, all the things that it gifts us that, um, you know, being able to have five senses and um, being able to take in everything through these five senses um, is is so so much of uh, it's just a, a gift that I believe when you know without the body we yeah. may miss yeah. that. Right. Right. <laughs> um, My last warm-up question for you is freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free from your perspective? So I can't answer it without thinking of um, <laughs> Janice Joplin singing free- freedom's just another word for mm. nothing left to lose. And that's one, right. one way to look at freedom. But there's also the freedom from oppression, which is such a tremendous source of, of complex trauma in our world. And then from the lens of a sexual trauma survivor, freedom's no longer being constrained by debilitating triggers and flashbacks and, and fear. And, and freedom's the ability to play. The value of play, I think, is underrated and it requires presence. And, and presence requires an absence of fear. So freedom is shifting from a state of survival to one of creative embodiment. You wrote the book, Healing Sexual Trauma Workbook, Somatic Skills to Help You Feel Safe in Your Body, Create Boundaries and Live with Resilience. What was the inspiration and the intention of writing your book, Erica? Inspiration was my own long and difficult journey to heal from sexual trauma. And the intention and passion is to get the tools that, that I gathered into the hands of survivors so that, you know, they too don't have to struggle for years. There wasn't a book like this around when, when I was searching. And, um, you know, there's a couple of popular books that have been out for quite a few years now, um, But, you know, one doesn't address the body very much. And another one is focused on sexuality and, and healing, you know, in that way. And what I've found is a, a lot of survivors I work with don't feel um, ready to start out with that. And um, that, that feels triggering to them. So I thought it was really important to have something that... Um, kind of balanced out <laughs> those things and added in more of the somatic work. So you are a somatic psychotherapist who specializes in working with sexual trauma survivors. The inspiration is your own 
experience with sexual trauma, but also the healing process. How did you discover somatic therapy, Eric? Um, I was actually a massage therapist at the time, and I was in a training, and I had a profound experience of just losing feeling in my hands while we were being told to work on the neck and um and it was really upsetting all of a sudden to not have the tool I needed to do this work and um what happened was the trauma came up because some of my traumas involved my neck and um it became clear how how much that trauma was still residing in my cells. And um, so I, at that time, learned about Peter Levine's book, Waking the Tiger. And um, it just made so much sense. And that that ended up leading to my getting my master's in, in psychotherapy and somatic psychotherapy. And, um, and as I was doing that and starting my practice, I just saw how great a need there was a lot of, uh, to, to focus on sexual assault survivors, because I was getting a lot of clients who had been to therapy, but they're, and, you know, and they, and they felt like they got a lot out of it, but their sexual trauma was still interrupting their, their lives. Um, so it just became so clear that so many people aren't getting what they need around this. It might be a combination, right, of talk therapy. Actually, I love the idea of exploring, trying different things. It resonates with me much more the somatic therapies of all kind. Energy, too, as we mentioned, talked early, which has to do with the body, Reiki. I have experienced a lot more uh, release from those kinds of therapy. Yeah, so the really highly regarded trauma therapies are somatic, um, or at least or at least quite a few of them. It's really known now. It's taken a long time, but at this point, it's these are very well respected in the field, and um, it's more and more becoming the standard that people start including the body, which is wonderful. It's, No, it's taken a long time. (laughs) I know. It seems like it's common sense to do that because we are in the body. Yeah, for some reason, the body has been ignored, underestimated and kind of put aside, abused in so many ways. We tend not to listen to it, which tends to kind of force it to do things that it doesn't want to do. Like I noticed with workouts, I used to do a lot of uh, weight lifting and um, now I see that my body doesn't want to do that anymore. It has been, I mean, it never did really, the truth is, but I forced it because I was not in a good place emotionally. So it's amazing how much we need to learn about our own selves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the, uh, as a culture, we've really privileged the mind and, and um, sort of perpetuated this idea of separation of, of body in mind up until again, like, you know, fairly recent. Um, so it's, it's nice that we're moving in the right direction. It is, Eric. It's good news. Even the spiritual field, I noticed that how the body is 
not celebrated. It's almost the opposite. You want to get rid of the body. So you are in that different space. You meditate all day long. So you, you're not really in the body experiencing what's happening now. The sensations, the feelings, the emotions, the feelings really. Because I do see a difference between, I mean, I have been exploring that, the difference between feelings and emotions. And it kind of makes sense to me, the idea that feelings are different from emotions. Do you have the same ideas when it comes to those two components or perceptions? Before I answer that, I just wanted to um, men mention that, you know, meditation's wonderful. There's so many wonderful benefits of it. Uh, however, it's not always the best thing for trauma survivors. Um, sometimes it can bring out the trauma and, you know, they're um, not ready for that. And so I always recommend mindfulness um, practice so that, you know, you don't have to leave your thoughts. You just need your thoughts to be on the present and to, you know, give them different things to focus on to be in the present moment. And I ask my clients to to practice that and work on that. And it's so important. Um, so I just wanted to, to mention that, that, um, if, if someone's listening, who's trying to meditate and it's not going well, that to give themselves permission that, you know, right now, isn't the time for you to meditate. You wait until you've, you know, gone further in your healing and, um, just practice coming into presence. Um, you know, feeling the breeze on your skin or, you know, whatever of your um, senses that you want to focus on and be present with it. There's a section in your book, a passage that I, I really love where you say, by choosing to work toward healing, you are choosing to claim a wounded part of yourself that has suffered deep violation and betrayal. Healing won't always come easy or feel good, but if you stick with it, the rewards will be great. And that is so, so true. So I wonder why some people choose to go on the healing journey and some people never do. Well, a, a big part of it is how resourced someone is again. So I think that some people um, on a deep level, on a, a subconscious level, feel or know that they're not ready, that it, it actually would be too overwhelming for them. Um, you know, we, we all come in with, with different um, advantages and disadvantages. And, you know, it's, it's very, very hard to heal if you're continuously being traumatized every day. Um, so for, for someone who's in that situation trying to heal, it's going to take longer and it's, it's, you know, until they can, to the extent they can get out of that. I mean, that's where like oppression is, is so damaging. Um, and I'm not saying that someone who's being dealing with oppression on a daily basis can't heal from the sexual trauma symptoms, but it's, it's harder. It, it's complex trauma. And so it's going to take more energy and effort and more resources, um, of every type for them uh, on top of, you know, the financial burden. Um, and just a lot of people 
aren't in a position with time and money to do the work. Um, but then, you know, there are also people who seem to, to go in the direction of denial, um, and, and who maybe do have the resources, um, in, in terms of say they have the financial resources and the time resources, but there may be something in their history that is not giving them some of the psychological resources that they need. So I try not to ever judge that and just accept if someone isn't ready. However, the people who come to me, they're ready. So um, so talk to me about that. What makes someone ready? Talk to me about some of your clients and yourself. What made you ready? Well, I think what makes people ready is um, the, the symptoms are more uncomfortable than the thought of doing the work that it takes um, to heal. So, you know, they're, they're tired of, of it. And it, it's wonderful that some survivors start right away and, you know, they, they're resourced enough to do that. And um, that's great. That's a, a nice advantage. But there are a lot of sexual assault survivors who go years um, without kind of pushing it away, which was my experience. Um, there, it was also a time... Um, where a lot less was known about trauma and um, people didn't speak much about sexual assault and, um, you know, it was really treated differently. And so, you know, I, I pushed it away. I didn't, for me too, there was, and I'm sure this applies to other, some others, is I um, didn't want to feel like a victim. Um, I So I kind of pushed that away where I felt like a victim. And I'd have one experience I mentioned in the book where I fought and um, was able to escape being raped. But, um, you know, I, I was assaulted and, and it was still traumatic. But because he, he, he didn't succeed, I didn't feel that same victim energy and so, you know, I think there was something about needing to accept in those other instances that, yes, you know, I was a victim, but that doesn't mean present tense. I'm not a victim now, right? So, I mean, honestly, when this happened to me, the word survivor wasn't even used. Um, that's how, how long ago it was. Yeah, I... Did I answer your question? <laughs> yes, you did. Wow. And you make me wonder why this happens and it still happens. And what can we do about it uh, socially to change? I mean, I know it starts with us becoming more empowered and knowing more of ourselves and creating boundaries. It seems to me like it really goes back to us taking responsibility for our own lives, our own happiness and safety. And then kind of um, expanding that to people in our families and being powerful enough to say no or say what we have to say when we see something or think that something's happening. Do you feel like um, this is getting somehow better at this time? Women are becoming more empowered in the sense of knowing themselves and I mean, it seems like we are, right? I hear there are so many movements, the Me Too and so many others. 
Yeah, absolutely. I do think so. I think we have a long way to go, but um, there's huge progress. Just the fact that we're having this conversation and that um, there's dialogue around it and that um, is has given so many women the courage to open up about it and not sit in shame and blame, self-blame, which is so tragic. It's, you know, it's so, so not any survivor's fault, whether male or female and, and or any other um, gender identity. It's just um, awful that it goes on to the extent it goes on. And, um, you know, like children are so powerless um, that have, have experienced molestation and incest. And it's just so tragic. Um, we've got to do better. We've got to change. I, there's a lot to, to be said about rape culture, but I, I think, you know, just the fact that our culture has been a patriarchal culture for so long um, has perpet- helped perpetuate it. Um, it's not only due to that, but that's such a huge part of it. And our language is patriarchal. Um, I mean, if you look at even things like curse words, they're always putting women down, almost all of them. They go, if you, you know, trace them back, it's, it's just, an, you know, history, all just the language in itself is perpetuating this patriarchal culture. So it's hard. We're definitely making progress. But again, like we have such a long ways to go. I like what you say. We're having this conversation today and there are some progress. <laughs> we are getting somewhere. And I do love the idea of just passing that on, like learning what we need to learn, being strong as we can in a sense of self-empowerment and not just knowledge. I, I call it a wisdom. I love the idea of wisdom better. Talk to me for a moment about the trauma symptoms, the sexual trauma symptoms more specifically. How can we learn to identify them, Erica? Mm. Well, they're the same as other trauma symptoms, um, which is, you know, being triggered easily, um, having flashbacks or dissociating um, are, you know, some of the, the big standout symptoms. Um, there's, you know, I have a list of trauma symptoms in the book. Um, so there's, there's many more. Um, I think, um, you know, it, it's broken down into, um, the nervous system. So hyperarousal, um, re-experiencing the trauma, um, avoidance of trauma reminders, negative thoughts and beliefs, and mental and physical health issues, which eventually take hold um, when um, the trauma hasn't been dealt with and, and um, you, know, you haven't been able to integrate or release the trauma in the body. It can definitely um, lead to physical and mental health issues. So it's very important that we learn to identify them and then do something about it. And that's that first step that is so crucial, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That we make that choice. I wanted to feel better. I wanted to understand what this is about. That just reminded me, you asked me earlier about feelings um, and emotions. So 
Um, what I want to say about that is that our emotions are states of feeling accompanied by physical and psychological changes that influence behavior. So I studied with a, a brilliant man for, for a number of years, um, Bill Bowen, and he said, sensations are the DNA of emotions. Emotions are simply complex states informed by sensations and stimulated by thoughts. So, yeah, so emotions inform form you through bodily sensations and observing bodily sensations helps you identify what emotion you're feeling. So, for example, you might feel butterflies in your stomach when you're nervous or excited in a constricted throat when afraid or a tight jaw when holding back feelings of anger or flushed cheeks when embarrassed. So, you know, these are all ways that your body's informing you of what's going on, what might be needed, um, what to pay attention to, right? Like I mentioned before, it's so obvious because it's right there. It's not something that is um, challenging to identify because it can be felt. And everything you say, kind of, I have seen that and felt myself. So it's just paying attention more and committing to take care of yourself and I have to go back to the self-compassion piece, self-love. So talk to me for a moment about the practice of self-compassion that you have in your book. You have so many amazing exercises there. And this is one of the practices you have. Practice of self-compassion. You have all the steps. It's a fundamental practice, I think. I think, um, you know, there's a, a few. So there's so many practices in the book. They're meant to be... Um, for people to try them and choose which ones work for them, what's most helpful for them. But there's a few that are, I think, important that everyone make a part of their practice and self-compassion is one of them. So, yeah, it's, um, it, I guess, um, did you have a specific question about self-compassion? Not really. Not, I think we talked about it um, earlier, how, and you've been saying that, we're just kind of emphasizing that, how important it is to cultivate self-compassion. I love what, when you talked about mindfulness too, the being present with what is present in uh, going to the, letting the thoughts take us to the past or future but stay here. And that's how we get to know the body better too, by just being here and breathing. I love the breathing exercise you have there too. And you have a, a practice called grounding exercise. That is an interesting one too. It caught my attention. And you also have another one uh, that kind of connects, integrates the grounding. It's called coming into safety. So it's composed of ground, orient, belly, breath, and soothing touch. Yeah, uh, it's so that's at the beginning of the book because it's so vital for, for survivors to be able to cultivate a sense of feeling safe within their own body. So many, many sexual assault survivors dissociate um, kind of, you know, they numb out, they might even feel like sometimes they leave their body or they're just really spaced out or they just, their body's numb, you know, it, it might show up in any of those ways or other ways. And, and that's because it, 
wasn't safe to be in their body when they were experiencing these traumas. So um, it's it's been a protective defense for them. Um, but to heal, we have to come into our bodies. Like embodiment is the antidote to dissociating. And um, a lot of the symptoms, um, it's important to, to be able to come into the body. So cultivating a sense of safety in your body is where we have to start. Um, so in that practice, first we do some grounding, um, and it's, it's all done pretty quickly. So we start out with some grounding, um, so that we can sort of help the energy to, uh, move throughout the body and not be pulled up into the head so much. Um, and then we move into orienting, which is a somatic technique of just turning the head all the way to one side and then very, very slowly, as in slow motion, moving your head to the other side and neck. Um, and you're just slowly taking in your surroundings and you do, you go back to the other direction and, you know, then, um, you can come back to center. Um, but it may seem strange until you know why. And the why is that it is, um, informing your nervous system that you're safe. There's not an actual threat here because your nervous system will respond to fearful thoughts. So if you are triggered, say you see someone who does a, a movement or gesture that's the same gesture that your perpetrator did, and suddenly you're triggered. And it's not that you're making a connection that you realize it's because of that gesture, but all of a sudden your body's thrown into this state of fear. And so your nervous system is responding as though there really is a threat. So in orienting, you're letting it know there's no threat here. Um, and it's it works because your vagus nerve is what regulates you coming back into a, a sense of safety. Um, it's called ventral vagal. And um, your, your eyes, ears, nose, and uh, mouth all have a direct connection to your vagus nerve. So your eyes are giving it that message in a way that if you just think to yourself, oh, wait a minute, I'm actually safe. It's, it's not as direct um, as is actually taking it in that there's no threat here now. And, and the thing is too, like people often aren't thinking I'm not safe. They're just all of a sudden overwhelmed with emotion that is very uncomfortable so um, if, if we go deeper, they'll see that, oh, I don't deep down feel safe right now. But people often are not aware of that. So we do that. And then we do a few breaths. Uh, belly breaths are really important. A lot of people know about belly breaths through yoga. Um, but if you don't, a belly breath is um, breathing in such a way that you allow your abdomen to gently expand when you inhale and um, contract back with the exhale. So it's gentle, but it's important. 
um, and it's due to our biology that I don't know if there's time for me to go into that, but but um, if you learn about, and I explain why in the book, but it's, it's so important. And just bringing in touch is also calming to the nervous system. So it includes touch. Yeah, you have so many other practices there. This one caught my attention for some reason, but there are so many others. You also explain how the nervous system works and you talk about boundaries, which is um, a a big one for me. <laughs> that has been a challenge and it's so important. Strengthening resilience, emotional intelligence. So your book is, the, your work in general, what do you do? It's so rich and so important. Thank you, Erica. Again. Thank you. Thank you so much. There's so many other topics that I would love to talk to you about too. Um, silence and shame, uh, vulnerability, uh, forgive, not forgive. It's just beautifully written and very, very useful and helpful to all of us, not just they have been through any kind of trauma, it seems to me, not just sexual trauma. So I do have a few more questions for you. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Um, I'll read a little bit about why your body responded the way it did. I think it's important for survivors. Um, So many are are hurting themselves around this. So, um, so let's see. Um, I, everything your, your body mind did was a normal reaction to abnormal circumstances. Yet sexual assault survivors are often misunderstood and judged for what they did or did not do during and following the trauma. It's easy for people to say they would have fought or tried to escape if it hasn't happened to them. And they're unaware of how the body responds to trauma. Most survivors are even harder on themselves, experiencing deep feelings of guilt and shame for not having done something differently, proceeding during or after the assault. This is a tragic mirroring of society's victim blaming and victim shaming that adds yet another layer of pain to an already open and raw physical, psychological, and soul wounding. For survivors of sexual assault, There was no way to escape or flee, no one to help, and little or no possibility of overpowering the perpetrator. When the sympathetic fight-flight response was unsuccessful, your body may have neurocepted, which is your your autonomic nervous system, assessed the environment and began to respond before your brain could fully understand what was happening. So, So you may have neurocepted that the best option for survival was shut down, the freeze response also referred to as tonic immobility. It's an involuntary psychological response. So it's important to understand that if you froze, your inability to act was not your fault. It was your nervous system doing what it's biologically evolved to do. It shut down as the last order of defense in an attempt to keep you alive. Well, this may seem counterintuitive. It makes sense when we look at nature. So um, I'll, I'll end there, um, and there's, there's more in there, but I just think that message is so important that sexual assault survivors need to, to really hear that. It's a very compassionate work, the work you do. It's courageous and compassionate and generous, too. Thank you again, again, and again. Oh, it's my honor. Thank you so much. 
And before we say goodbye, I have these two last questions for you. What is another word for healing? I think evolving, growth. Um, I think in, in terms of healing for survivors, health often means just no longer being taken hostage by that you know, unexpected activation of their nervous system where they're suddenly thrown into the fight, flight, freeze response and hijacked from present moment. Um, so I don't have a word for that. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the words you use for that state is evolving, growing. Yes, it makes a lot of sense to me. And then my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? One thing I know about life is that it involves suffering and as great as the joy is, so can to be the, the sorrow. Um, so, you know, it's hard to accept that, but it's true. Um, life is fragile, yet resilient and fleeting, yet eternal. And then um, I think what really comes to mind is about the planet right now. And to heal the planet, we have to heal ourselves and our relationship with the planet. And it's, it's essential that we cultivate a deep respect for all forms of life and that we care enough about the planet to stop pumping it full of toxins and, and that all animals are treated humanely and that, that humans treat one another with respect and dignity. I love your work. I love your message. I love your presence. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So uh, I have a website for the book, just healingsexualtrauma.com. My website for my psychotherapy practice is my name, Erica Therapy.com. And then I have an Instagram, also my name, Wonderful. I'll have those links, your website links and your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Stay well. Bye for now, Erica. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Erica Shershin and her work, please visit HealingSexualTrauma.com and EricaShershinTherapy.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.